Welcome everyone to Celtic Preacher Podcast 53 and today our topic is healing. Everyone needs healing of some kind. Everyone. Now, when I use the word healing, I'm using it in a broad sense here. It could be inner healing, it could be a physical healing, that the vast majority of people need a fair amount of healing. I mean, think about simple things like, for example, most of us have trouble even with addictive, unhelpful thinking patterns, right? Isn't that what uh, worry and anxiety is? Isn't it really about an inability to stop worry? Yeah, I think so. I think it's an area that needs healing, It's interesting, I was reminded of a book I read a few years back. It was Richard Rohr's um, Breathing Underwater. It's based on the 12 steps. And one of the things that he said that was fascinating is he said that everyone is addicted to something. It may not be drugs, it may not be alcohol, but everyone is addicted to their own ways of thinking, everyone's addicted to the way that they think and they have a lot of trouble stopping it, even if it's an unhelpful way of thinking. Well, there you go. There's an area for healing. So we're going to be looking at an ancient story. story. It's the story of Naaman. It's found in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 5. And... Even though it's, well, this is maybe like 900 years before Christ, even though it's ancient, what we'll see, as we see in all of these healing narratives, is is that we'll see patterns in Naaman that we will recognize. We'll recognize the patterns because we'll think to ourselves, you know, I've done that or I do that. So uh, the healing story is... Now, again, for healing, not just physical healing, we can read this on the physical level, and we'll talk about that later if we need physical healing, but we could be overwhelmed with grief. We could be overwhelmed with the need to please someone in a way that hurts us. We could be desiring healing because we're lonely or we're, we're brokenhearted or we could, we could have a drive to succeed, and it's exhausting. So brokenness comes in many, many shapes and sizes. It could be a bad memory. I have a bad memory. I need to be healed from my bad memory because it's, it, it comes back to haunt me in some way. So the brokenness and the healing of the world is vast. In fact, the whole trajectory of the Bible from the beginning of the Genesis to the last book, Revelation. The whole push in the the, the scripture, the final scene, so to speak, like where is this all going? The final scene is a new heavens and a new earth, which is all about really restoration. The biblical word is redemption, salvation, we would use words like it's all about something ultimately broken being restored. That's why we have this line in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. Why do we have that line, thy will be done? Because God's will isn't always done. 
But the big picture is the trajectory of all the stories in the Bible, of the entire scripture is, is that God is bringing about healing, restoration for all things, a new heaven and a new earth. Now, what that looks like, you have to use your imagination because we can't really hardly even imagine that. But the reason it's important for us to know that is, is because that's what God is doing in our lives. God is bringing us to this place of healing and restoration. Now, sometimes we feel strong and full of vitality, and sometimes we're very aware of our fragility and our vulnerability. Right? We, we have a, many of us have this mix going on. Well, this story of Naaman shows us some key patterns in our journey toward wholeness and our journey toward completeness, which is really what living is all about. Remember Jesus' famous line, I've come that you might have abundant life. Well, in order for us to have abundant life, we're going to need a lot of healing. That's why we don't experience abundant life now. So the story is, I'm going to give you two or three things. Before I even tell you the story, let me give you some spiritual thing, lessons that I gleaned from Naaman's story. This is what we learn from Naaman. First thing is, sometimes we're, we can be our own worst enemy. Sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. We are harder on ourselves than we are anyone else. That's, that's one thing that we learn from the story of Naaman. Another thing that we learn is, is that sometimes we can get in the way of God working. In other words, we can get stuck and there's no forward movement. And I'm still struggling with the same problems um, t time and time again, year after year after year. Naaman's story addresses that and gives us some, some answers. Another thing we learn from Naaman is, is that God is in the business of healing, but we certainly don't get to choose the method or the time nor the place. Well, this, this is touched upon this, this whole theme is within this story too. So I'm just giving you a little sneak preview of some of the things to look out for when I give you the narrative and what's, what, what actually happened to Naaman, because you'll see some of these uh, themes coming up. That God is in the business of healing, but we don't get to choose the time, nor the place, nor the method. And we might not like the method. So we're going to be seeing that too, right? So although it's an ancient, ancient story, we'll find that the struggles of Naaman will be familiar to many of us. So the story is that Naaman is a powerful man. In fact, he's a general. And generals down throughout the ages hold prominent positions in society, right? Just like today. They rub shoulders with kings and queens and presidents. They're the power people of the world. They command respect. They have a lot of influence, and when generals speak, people listen. So 
Naaman, this is who he is, and this is what he expects, and he's in a privileged position. Now, even though Naaman's powerful and he's influential, even powerful, influential men and women run into troubles, problems that they are powerless over. And Naaman's particular problem is that he has leprosy. Now, it's not leprosy as in Hansen's disease that we talk about nowadays. Really, the ancient Hebrew word is, is like just skin disease. So, but whatever it was, it was disfiguring, it was a problem, it was long-term, and it was something that he had no power and control over. Now, there's something about a long-term struggle that can open a person up to, to seeking God at a deeper level. There's something about meeting an obstacle so big, so immovable, that can turn one's attention to God, right? Maybe it's desperation. Now, not everyone who, who has uh, illness turns to God, but, but many do. And maybe even if you're not ill, There'll be other things that bring desperation and you'll start to think about, I think I need help of a different order. And I don't know why, but when people suffer, they just seem to get a lot more in tune, a lot more open to God. So there he is, Naaman, the mighty general with this skin disease. No doubt tried all the latest things to get rid of it. Nothing's happening. Well, he finds out one day that Naaman had a servant girl, a slave girl. And she was a slave girl that had actually been stolen from ancient Israel because Naaman is from modern-day Syria. It was called Aram in those days, A-R-A-M. And Aram and ancient Israel were enemies, and there would be many skirmishes and battles between the two, and when Aram would come in to ancient Israel, the custom in those days was is they would often steal young people as slaves. And so on one of the raids, Naaman had brought back this young uh, Israel girl, and she was a slave in his household. The young girl happened to mention to Naaman's wife, she said, you know, back in Israel, there's a prophet called Elisha who can literally work wonders. would be really good if my master Naaman could see him because I think he could be healed from his leprosy. Well, of course, Naaman's wife mentions this to Naaman and Naaman thinks to himself, you know what? It's worth a try. Maybe I should go to Israel and speak to this prophet and see what can be done about this leprosy, right? Because he's open to anything and everything now at this point. So he goes, Naaman goes to his king, and the king likes Naaman. He's a good general, and the king of Aram says, yeah, you can go, you can go. Go to Israel, go to the king, king of Israel. You have my permission, and I'll tell you what, Naaman's king says, I'm going to draft a letter, I'm going to write a letter to the king of Israel. You can hand it to him. And in the letter he writes, um, 
Here is my servant, Naaman, for you to heal. Well, the king of Israel, when he reads this letter, he's like, what? What is this? Oh, no, he must be picking a quarrel with me. I can't heal. What is he sending me, Naaman? And and why, why is this guy here? And why do I have this letter? I don't have any. I don't have any power to heal anyone. And the king tears his robes in despair. Remember, the kings of the Old Testament were very demonstrative when they weren't happy about something. Remember all the sackcloth and ashes and the tearing of their robes with grief. Well, this is how he responds, because Naaman does go and see him, takes all his uh, entourage with him, and gold and silver and suits of clothing and presents and a letter from his king. He presents it to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel is just horrified. There's Naaman standing before him with all those gifts, and he has absolutely no power in the world to cure him of his leprosy. And the king of Israel is just distraught. Well, it gets to the prophet Elisha's ears that the king of Israel is distraught and that Naaman is visiting and hoping for a healing. And Elisha says to the king of Israel, you tell Naaman to come see me. I'll take care of this so that he'll know that there is a prophet in the land. Now, remember, in those days, a prophet was a spokesperson for God. So Naaman is told to go to Elisha's house. And so off he goes with his entourage, his servants, his chariots, his horses, his gold, his silver, his suits of clothing. And off he goes and he arrives at Elisha's door. And he stands outside the door knocks on the door and Elisha's servant answers the door and Elisha's servant said this is what you have to do you have to go to the Jordan River and you have to dip in the Jordan River seven times and then your flesh will be restored and Naaman can hardly believe his ears. He's absolutely disgusted for several reasons. First of all, he's disgusted that Elisha didn't come and answer the door himself and speak to him face to face. That's offensive to Naaman. The second thing is, why would he travel all this way to dip in the Jordan River? There's plenty good rivers back in his own country. He certainly didn't have to come all this way to dip into the Jordan River seven times. That annoyed him. The third thing that annoys him is that he was thinking that at least Elisha could have come to the door himself. He could have put his hand over the spot of leprosy and done some sort of ritual or prayer or something. He's kind of got it set up in his mind how the healing should happen. That didn't happen either. He's absolutely disgusted. He says, I am not doing it. He says to his servants and his entourage, okay, that's it, let's go home. We're going back to Aram. I'm having nothing to do with this. So there he is. There's, now you see the general spirit coming out in him here, right? Because Naaman's like, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. And I think that these instructions are stupid and they're wrong. So he stalks off in disgust. 
thinking to himself, we could have plenty river, we'd have plenty rivers back home. I'm not going to be jumping in in any Jordan River seven times. Now, this is kind of a pivotal point in the story here because if Naaman doesn't change his mind, he's going to be missing out on a healing and he's going to be missing out on a great blessing. If he if he's not open to changing his mind, if he's going to be really rigid, if he's not open to changing his mind, how he thinks things need to be, it's going to be a missed opportunity. Because, you know, at this point in the story, Naaman's still quite proud, isn't he? I mean, pride's his downfall. It's like, I'm not doing that. I don't care what you ask me to do. So, now you could think about that for a bit, couldn't you? Because sometimes I, I wonder too, you know, even as I was looking at this story, I thought, you know, how often does our pride get in the way? You know, how often do we miss out because of that? It's like, Naaman is like, I don't like Elisha. I don't like him. I don't like the way he does things. I don't like the way he treats me. He doesn't, he doesn't do things the way I think he should. Because Naaman's become accustomed to people making a fuss over him. He's, a, he's, a, he's accustomed to being in a position of authority and privilege. And yet Elisha is the one God chose to help Naaman. And Elisha didn't even come to the door, which I'm sure is deliberate on Elisha's part. It's like Elisha's sort of testing Naaman, saying, "Ah, I wonder how open he is. I wonder how open he really is. So it kind of makes you think, you know, it makes you wonder, could, could the people that we don't like, could the people that we don't really care for, for whatever reason, instruct us in some way or show us something about ourselves. The people in our lives that we don't care for, could they teach us something? Can our reactions to people teach us something about ourselves? Well, yeah, I think they can. I think they can, a lot. So there's Naaman. Still being the general, still giving orders, which of course doesn't work well in the life of faith. It might work well in this world if you're a boss and you have all control and authority, then you can go in and tell people what to do. But as soon as you start to think about the life of faith, God never really listens to our orders, right? God waits until we're tired. And then when we stop fighting and when we stop insisting, then it's like God waits for that part of us that's willing to do whatever it takes, right? Spiritual life is always about waiting till we get to that place of we're willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes. I mean, I just wonder how many times uh, we miss out on blessings and healings of various kinds and Gifts from God like peace of mind or a clear sense of direction or a newfound confidence because of pride. Because you see, this story isn't just about going into the river to be cured of leprosy. It's about the human problem of pride and control. It's about the naming in us, right? We can be pretty insistent 
about how things need to be before we do our part. It has to be this way. It has to be set up this way. And it's like, no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Naaman's resisting things. It's like when we say things like, I'm not forgiving until he says I'm sorry. Well, what if the apology never comes? Well, then I'm not forgiving because that's I'm not going to do it. Well, okay, you don't have to. You don't have to learn how to forgive. It's like we don't have to. Then we just live with resentment, right? We can resist things. Well, I wouldn't have to be so critical if this world wasn't so stupid. I don't see why I should change. Well, you don't have to. But if you want to stay angry, yeah, well, if you want to stay angry your whole life, you can. You get to do that. You really want to live that way? We, we can resist. Well, I wouldn't have to worry about if she just get her life together. Or, of course, I'm anxious about the future. How can I not be? It's almost like we can stand on the shore, right? Naaman, he's supposed to walk into the Jordan sometimes, seven times. It's like we can stand on the shore and hold on to all sorts of attitudes and beliefs about ourselves and other people. We can hold on to frames of mind that just don't serve us well. And whether it's defending ourselves with a judgmental attitude or criticizing people that are different from us or holding on to worry and anxiety. And all the while, it's like God just sort of waiting in the background saying, you know, I've come so that you can experience true life. How about wading in and letting go of all of this? Because I have something new for you. The requirement is basic, but it's not easy. Because the requirement is we need to be willing to do whatever it takes within our power and then leave the rest to God. Now, to know the difference between these two takes some discernment, but we need to be willing to do what's our part and then leave the rest to God. We don't have control to do everything. We're only responsible for our part. I had an interesting uh, teaching last week on prayer, and it was this idea, how long should I pray about something? And it was, you pray until you get to yes. Prayer is always about getting to yes. You know how we have that line, your will be done? It's the same thing. It's yes or your will be done. It's always about a release. Naaman's not at yes. (laughs) He's stuck in expecting and insisting things go a particular way. So he's stuck in that place of, he's not saying your will be done. He's He's still saying, I want things to look this way. Things need to be this way, then I'll whatever. But prayer is always about getting to yes. There's other words you can use for that. There's words like surrender. There's words like giving up, letting go, 
There's words like trust, faith. It's, I think they all mean the same thing. It's all the same place. It's all the same energy. It's about releasing, falling into, trusting God. Well, on with the story. Naaman, as you know, some of you will know this, not, not all of you, I guess, but Naaman did eventually wade into the river seven times. And he did it because he was surrounded by people who encouraged him. He was on his way home, pouting and in a bad mood, and his servant said, you know, Father uh, Naaman, what, what do you have to lose? Why don't you just do what the prophet asked you to do? He only asked you to wade into the river seven times. Why don't you, why don't you go ahead and try it and do it? And for some reason or another, Naaman softened a bit. And it was like, because his friends were saying, go on, wade in, take the plunge, do it. And he did it. He did it. He waded into the Jordan. Well, nothing happened the first time. So he wades back out and he goes back in the second time. And he, nothing happens and he, and he comes back out. And I think all this, you know, seven times, I don't think it's about a number. I think that's about persistence. I think that's really about persistence is called for. I think that every time he wades in, he drowns a little pride. Every time he wades in, he faces a sphere of looking foolish. Every time he wades in, he, is fa he faces a sphere of feeling vulnerable, of being wrong of feeling out of control, all necessary components before the ultimate healing is secured, right? Isn't that a common pattern? All of these things, the mighty Naaman, independent and strong, here he is, admitting he needs help, and he's willing to do whatever it takes within his power. Now, he can't heal himself, but he can wade into that river seven times with everyone watching, with the possibility that maybe nothing will happen. Yeah. It's within his power to walk into the water. It's not within his power to bring about a physical healing. Naaman does his part. God does God's part. It's good to know what we're responsible for and what we're not responsible for. There he is, standing on the shore, dripping wet, all his servants watching, waiting, wondering, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen? Classic pattern experienced by anyone who seriously wants to make changes that lead to inner healing and freedom. You know, I talk about healing a lot, and I do want to mention something about people, for, particularly for people who struggle with long-term illnesses. All those healing stories in the scripture, this is not a narrative that gives five things to do before we're physically healed, because healing doesn't work that way, right? We all know people of great faith who are not healed, we all know people of great faith who have died, right? 
We all know plenty of people who pray or have other people pray for them, and there's no physical healing. No physical healing appears. And this was true even in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, Paul and Paul's day and Peter's day, that's the disciples, not everyone's healed physically. You know, Stephen, one of the disciples in the book of Acts, a man of great faith, Stephen died. Yeah. Nobody laid hands on him when he was stoned to death for giving out the good news. He died. But it's interesting about Stephen. When Stephen died, he died whole. He died without pride. And he died with great peace in the midst of suffering. And that is also a miracle of a different sort. So healing accounts, wherever you read them in the scripture, healing accounts in the scripture aren't ways to bypass death. Right? Because death is a part of our design. So healing accounts are not some way to bypass death and get God to do something for you so that you'll live. It just doesn't work that way. We, we know this from our own experiences and other people's experiences, right? As we watch them. But the accounts show us how God works with us in all things. Right? And all the various kinds of brokenness that we suffer from. Whatever it would be. Whatever it is. Naaman had to face down pride. He had to look at his fear directly. He had to feel foolish and vulnerable. He had to give up control. Every single person will go through all of these stages before any kind of freedom and healing can happen. Yeah? Facing down pride, directly looking at our fears, feeling foolish and vulnerable, giving up control. It's like, yeah, there's the heart cry. There's the prayer. God, help me. Help me wade into the water. Help me just wade in. I don't want to be standing on the shore. Help me to just keep moving forward. Help me to keep trusting you in spite of what I feel help me to keep trusting in your healing intentions for me thank you for your healing intentions for me and thank you for joining with me for another week of Celtic Preacher <laughs>